My name is Bill, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm a volunteer at Mosaic. Um, Aaron, our pastor, he is away. We gave him two weeks off between uh, Labor Day and today. So ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Who here in the room has done the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? A few of us? Some more hands going up. Who here is like, I can't stand the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Keep your hands up for a second. So out of you guys, who, who did you guys get nominated? I, so the, here's the funny thing about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, right? And this was this is where I kind of found myself is I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, because when you think about it, the idea is genius, right? Because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of bad things in the world. There's a lot of terrible diseases that deserve so much more funding. And ALS is one of those. It's a t- terrible, horrendous disease. But the idea in that campaign for the Ice Bucket Challenge is absolutely genius. Because it taps into something within us that it's like, I want to be a part of that. You know, and well, the funny thing is half the people who probably did the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, if you ask them what ALS was, they're like, I don't know. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where people, they want to be invited into it. And I found myself like at first, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I groanly grew a little bit bitter towards it. And I was like, man, this is really annoying. Like I can't go on Facebook without like scrolling through my feed. And I'm like video after video after video after video. So I started getting like really bitter towards it. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, can we just stop this already? And um, what I began to realize, though, was I wasn't being challenged. I wasn't being invited. And I was like, hold on a second. Like, I have, like, a, I have like almost 1,000 Facebook friends, and no one's inviting me? Like, what the heck, you guys? Like, none of you in here invited me into it. Yeah, I'm calling you guys out. All you guys who raised your hand and said you did it. But, um, but eventually, I got nominated. But it was by my dad. That's kind of like a cop-out nomination, right? <laughs> Everyone is like your family. It's like, come on, give me a break. So I got to do the thing that I wanted to do the whole time since the campaign started. I could be too cool to do it. I'm like, oh, no, I'm too busy. Because it's not like you can nominate yourself. You can't be like, oh, my name is Bill, and I was nominated by... <clears throat> and uh, I challenge... Um, so I just... But I just began to realize it's the, the, the powerful thing about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge is it's the power of being invited into something. But there's a flip side of it because it's a powerful thing when you're not invited into it, when you're not challenged into it. And so we're going to start a new conversation today, this week at Mosaic, called Tribe. Because it's the power of community, it's the power of being called to something more. And it's the power of being invited into it. And to become a tribe of people that really step in and we really care about each other in the good times and the bad times. Have you guys ever had a friend where, like, you thought you did something, like, really awesome, and you go to them, and you're all excited, and you're like, hey, guess what I just did? Like, maybe it was, like, a school project, or maybe you started a business, or maybe you have, like, a really good joke that you're proud of, and you go to them, and you tell them, and they're like, huh, yeah, that's cool. And you're like, are you serious? Like, I spent so much time on this, and then I go to you, and I talk to you about it, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. It's like, I just started my business. You know, like, I just finished my degree. I just did this. I just did that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Doesn't that hurt a little bit on the inside? Because you want someone to share the joy that you have. You want them to feel the same emotions that you're feeling. Um, And it's the same thing with grief, too. Uh, Like, have you ever had, like, a problem or you've gone through something really hard and you go to one of your best friends and you're just looking for someone to vent to and then they start giving you advice? Isn't that the worst it's like it, maybe you're going through like a difficult breakup and they're like, oh, what did you do that, was, uh, that you could correct next time? It's like, really? Like, thanks for that advice. That's terrible. Or your business fails 
and it's like, oh, what, what could you do next time to make it better? It's like, or just people who like, they refuse to listen, but they give advice. And uh, I was actually really struck. There's this book in the Bible uh, called Lamentations, and it's an entire book devoted to just pain and sorrow. And there's actually very little mention of God in the book of Lamentations. And God doesn't speak at all in the book. And it's like, why, when the Council of Nicaea was deciding which books belong in the Bible, why did they choose this one? And I think there's something very powerful to share, not just shared joy, but shared sorrow. When you can go to someone and you express deep pain and you know that they hear you. They know that not only do they hear you, they feel your pain. And so as we step into this new conversation, this new series called Tribe, I want us to be, able to, to be able to get to that place where we become a tribe of people, where we wrap our arms around each other, and we just begin to share each other's joy, share each other's sorrows. And so uh, with that said, um, four years ago, I was living in Los Angeles. We were living with Aaron and Megan. I don't know how many of you guys know my story. I've shared with these, you guys a little bit. But um, Aaron and Megan left Los Angeles. They left me and Nicole in the dust to move here to Lincoln to start this tribe. And so I'm in, I'm in L.A., kind of not really knowing to, what to do with my life. And I had been kind of engaging with uh, Mosaic in Los Angeles with their film team. And so I just I emailed a bunch of friends, and I was like, hey, I need a job. I don't know what to do. And uh, I get an email back from a friend. He's like, hey, come, come interview for my company. And it was, a, it was a film company. I really wanted to do something in the film industry because I kind of felt like I, kind of felt like I wanted, needed to be like a, minis, uh, a missionary to the, to the film world. You know, the film world, it can be so dark and mysterious. And I was like, I'll be a light. I'm going to be that person that just like transforms the entire film industry single-handedly. And so I email all my film contacts and I get an email back. Hey, come interview at our visual effects 3D conversion company. I was like, okay, cool. So I go and I interview and they give me like the lowest level job. It was called production assistant. Basically, like you're a coffee runner. That's what you do. That's it. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is where I start. This is where I got to start. So I did it. And I'll never forget, I walked into my first day of work, and I walked into the building, and I go into the room, and all these, like, artists are in computers. And I look up, and, like, Jack Black is on this giant theater screen. And I hadn't even, like, heard of the movie that was coming out. It was uh, Gulliver's Travels at the time. I was like, what is this movie? It's Jack Black. But this is awesome. You know, like, I get to see movies before they're even announced to the world. This is, like, the coolest thing, Right. And so me and my boss, we pull off the impossible, and uh, towards the end of Gulliver's Travels, we actually finished 25% of the movie in two weeks, which to you means nothing, because you, you have no idea how difficult that was. You can't share my joy in this situation. You have no clue. It was, it was so tough. I remember, I think I spent like four days straight uh, working there, sleeping on the ground at my desk. It was awful. But we finished it. We did it. Crazy, right? And so then the company, they're like, cool. We're going to promote you. You're going to be production coordinator now. And I got production coordinator for Captain America. Did anyone see Captain America? Wow, nice. My name is in the credits of Captain America, by the way. That's my claim to fame. Um, and another movie that I'm not too proud of, but um, that's for another, another time. That sounded really shady and scandalous. It's not that bad. That was weird. I apologize. That sounded really weird, but it's not that weird. Okay, but anyways, so I'm on Captain America, and like a few months into it, I go into my boss's office, and he's like, hey, we're taking you off Captain America. And I was like, what happened? You know, like, I was working my butt off. I, I felt like I was like doing everything I needed to do. And he was like, well, 
we got 30 minutes of this movie called Titanic, and we want you to be in charge of it. I was like, what? Really? Like, I've been working for this company for like seven months. I just started the film industry, and to me, this is like, perfect. Let's do it. Like, 30 minutes, no problem. And so we started this, and about a month later, we get a phone call, and the company said, James Cameron is coming to the studio. I was like, James Cameron's coming here. And he goes, oh, yeah, and you and your team are going to have to give him a tour. You're going to have to show him the ropes and show him shots that you're working on. I was like, all right, let's do that. Sounds, sounds interesting, but okay, let's do it. So he shows up. We show him everything. We, we sat him down with artists. We show him the shots. We bring him into the theater. We, we showed him, I think, like 12 shots that we converted into 3D. He didn't say much. He leaves. And I was like, cool. And then a few hours later, we get a phone call hey, uh, you guys kind of blew him away, and he wants you to do the entire movie now. So my boss looks at me, and he goes, do you want to do this entire movie? And I was like, heck yeah, I want to do the entire movie. Let's do this. Come on. And so began the worst year of my life. I am not kidding. It was, uh, it was hell on earth. It was terrible. It was awful. Um, and it's so funny because, like, I'll fast forward very quickly. I can tell a million stories on it. Um, but the, to give you a little bit of insight, if you know anything about James Cameron, who's the craziest director in Hollywood, and he screams and he likes to bite people's heads off, literally. Um, and uh, he was the easiest part of the whole process. So that gives you a little bit of insight into how terrible it was. And so then we finally, somehow, we finished the movie. I don't know how. I'm fast-forwarding past so much pain and agony and sorrow. You have no idea. Like, I felt like, I'm, I'm young and I'm pretty healthy, but I had, like, severe chest pains. I thought I was having heart attacks many times. Um, I, me and Nicole, like, we didn't have a marriage. Like, I would, sh- I would come home and she'd be sleeping, and then she would wake up and I would be gone. We were just dreams. Like, we would just dream about each other, and that's it. Like, we never saw each other. I was a ghost. My friends never saw me. And it was so funny, too, because, like, I would meet someone, and, like, I'd get, like, a day off, finally, and I would tell them what I do. Oh, yeah, I'm production supervisor for Titanic. Whoa, that's so awesome. No, it's not. It's terrible. Oh, man. So we finished the movie, and I brought, like, five or six friends to go see, like, a pre-screening, like, a week before the movie came out, and I'm, like, thinking I'm a big shot, like, hey, come watch this movie that I did. And then, I'll never forget it, I was sitting there, and I had seen the movie probably 10,002 times as we were working on it. Have the movie literally memorized. But I'd never really seen it in one long stretch um, from start with uninterrupted. And so I'm sitting there with my friends, and I'm like, man, did I really spend a year of my life watching Leonardo DiCaprio drown? Like, this was the last year of my life. And it didn't feel good. It didn't, it didn't feel right. And so then the movie ended, and I was hoping my friends would validate this terrible, horrible experience that I had gone through. And they just get up, and they walk out of the movie theater. There's nothing worse than working really, really hard at something and being proud of it and not having someone, like, spontaneously say, that was awesome. Because when something is awesome, you just can't help but say it. Like, when you go on a roller coaster and it's fun, you get off and you're like, that was awesome, Right? But, or like if a band is like really, really, really good, when the, when the song ends, you have to clap. You don't want to tell people to clap. And so then I had to go up to them and I'm like, hey, what did you guys think? And they're like, hmm, yeah, it was good. 
it was good, yeah, it was good. And I just knew in that moment, I was like, man, I have no tribe. I'm an island. I'm by myself. Like me trying to be a missionary to this film industry, I'm alone. You know, like I've just spent so much of my time in agony. And man, when I'm watching that movie, like I can see the artist's faces who completed shots. When certain shots come up on screen, like I can see artists who got fired because they weren't talented enough to finish the shots. And these are the things I'm seeing as I'm watching this movie. And you're talking about shots that last five seconds on the screen in the midst of a three-hour and 15-minute-long movie. And in that moment, I was like, man, I need to redirect my life. I need to find a group of people to commit my life to, to just alter the way that my life is going right now. A tribe that I can actually engage together to do awesome things together. And when things really, really go bad and stink, I got people that can totally be by my side and relate to that. And so what I want us to do is I want us to engage in this conversation about tribe. And where I want to start is in the book of Luke. Um, so if you have the copy of the scriptures with you or go on your phone, download the Bible app, just search Bible in the app store. Um, I want you guys to go to Luke chapter 6. And I want us to read this super crazy verse together. Because if we learn anything about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, is the thing that unites a tribe more than anything else is generosity towards a common goal. And so as we begin this conversation about tribe, I want us to have a conversation about never stop giving. So what I want us to do in the book of Luke, if we go to Luke chapter 6, and as I'm talking, telling you guys to look it up, I'm not even looking it up myself, so give me a little bit of time. Here we go. So this is uh, Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 27. I'm not going to lie to you guys, this, this little passage that I'm going to read to you guys, it's scary. Like, it really doesn't make sense at all. With that said, but I tell you who hear me, and I love that Jesus says that, hear me. So in this moment, I know sometimes when we read the scriptures in church, it's easy just to, it's easy just to read on like you guys are doing. But stop. Hear me. Listen. Love your enemies. So let's stop there for a second and pause. Love your enemies. Think about that in a moment. I know like in Christian culture, we hear things like this so much. And if you've been around the church for more than a few months, phrases like this become cliche. But when we stop and we think about the reality of what this is saying, this is not easy stuff. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Does anyone here think that this is easy in any way, shape, or form? This is ridiculously horrible and difficult. Um, And even like when I think about that, and I think how many situations in our lives do we have people that have Like, I think every single person in this room can think of at least one person who has damaged them so deeply, so horribly, so awful, that it's like, how, how can you not only forgive them, but do good towards them? When we think about the, uh, the Islamic state of Iraq, ISIS, right? Like, we, and we think, hey, if I had a little red button that can make every single one of them disappear and go away, would I press it? Right? Or would I pray for them? And here's, here's something that's like super profound and significant. Like if we read on in Luke, what he says is, he says, um, if someone strikes you on one cheek, t- 
return to him also the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Um, actually, the book of Matthew goes on. Um, do we have that slide, the Matthew slide? And Matthew says, if you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Here's, here's something that's like super profound. This is why I love the verse in Matthew, because he adds one word to this, as he says, right cheek, right? So this is what I want you guys to do, is I want you to turn the person next to you, right? I know it's awkward to have to do something in the middle of a talk. And if you were to turn the person next to you, and if you were to hit them on their right cheek, right? Or slap them on the right cheek, which hand are you going to use? It's not like a backhanded, like, pimp slap, right? Which hand are you going to use? If you're staring them in the face, and let's say if you're going to punch them, what hand are you going to use, right? If you're going to punch. You're not really going to be able to use your right hand, right? So Jesus is saying something very significant and profound, is he's saying someone is using their left hand to hit you on the right side of your face, Right? Because, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in Jesus' day, uh, there wasn't a such thing as toilet paper. Right? So this is, this is serious. So you would eat with your right hand and you would wipe with your left. So you don't touch people with your left hand. It's a sign of severe, severe, like you're, you're calling them inhuman. You're calling them a dog. And so this is the cool thing about this passage right now is uh, the Romans, when they hit the Jews, they would use their left hand. And when they would hit Romans, they would use their right. Because Romans are equal. Romans are human. Jews are not. Jews are less than human. Jews deserve your left hand. Right? So what Jesus is saying is turn to them the other cheek. So if you get hit on your right cheek, say, hit me on the left cheek. Hit me on the left cheek. Use your right hand because I'm a human here. I'm a human in this situation. I'm not a dog that you touch me with your left hand. So this, is, this isn't just an act of passive. This is an act of saying, call me a human being. And so when we engage this conversation of our enemies, do we look at our enemies as human beings? Or do we villainize them to the point that we say that they are not human and they deserve to just go away forever? And so as we engage and as we start this conversation about giving, I know it's weird when you're talking about conversation about generosity and giving, and you start with, such a heavy, heavy example of loving your enemies. I think this is significant because the starting place of who we think deserves our service is everyone. Our enemies deserve our service. There's actually a, there's a, there's another verse in Matthew where Jesus says that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because what Jesus is saying is that God blesses the righteous and God blesses the unrighteous. God blesses good people, and God blesses bad people. And that says a lot. That's significant. So where do we start? So I was like, I was really, um, this kind of popped in my head. It's a, it's a really old book. It's like 10 years old. It was really popular a long time ago. But it's a book by Donald Miller called Blue Like Jazz. And um, I just want to read a passage out of there because it's, 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 it's super powerful. And what they're talking about, they're talking about this genocide that happened in the Congo. And it says, it's terrible, I told them. Two and a half million people dead in one village. They interviewed about 50 or so women. All of them had been raped, most of them numerous times. Tony shook his head. That's amazing. It's so difficult to even process how things like that can happen. I know. I can't get my mind around it. I keep wondering, how do people do things like that? 
Do you think you could do something like that, Don? Tony looked at me pretty seriously. I honestly couldn't believe he was asking the question. What are you talking about, I asked. Are you capable of murder or rape or any of the stuff that is taking place over there? No. So you are not capable of any of those things, he asked again. No, I couldn't, I told him. What are you getting at? I just want to know what makes those guys over there any different from you and me. They are human. We are human. We are any, uh, why are we any better than them, you know? Tony had me on this one. If I answered the question by saying yes, I could commit those atrocities, that would make me evil. But if I answered no, it would suggest I believed I am better evolved than some of the men in the Congo. And then I would have some explaining to do. You believe we're capable of those things, don't you, Tony? He lit his pipe and breathed until the tobacco glowed orange and let a cloud of smoke. I think so, Don. I just don't know how else to answer the question. Because when we make someone human, when we make our enemies human, and when what, we're, what we have to do is put ourselves in their place and say, if I went through the same circumstances as that person, if I grew up the same way they did, would I do things any differently than they would? And if, if we step back and we say, this human condition, this thing we called sin, are we capable of doing terrible things? And a lot of us, we say no. But we, we need to come to that place where we realize the rain falls on us and the rain falls on them. Because what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to rid ourselves of the conversation of us and them. Because it's just us. It's the human race who are in together. And that's why in Jesus, Jesus in this passage, he goes on to say, um, he says, give to everyone who asks you. <laughs> give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Um, give to everyone who asks. I think, um, I think that's a crazy, crazy, crazy statement as well, don't you? Give to everyone who asks. It doesn't make sense. Because I think a lot of times when we live our lives, we, we always select our generosity. Because we decide who deserves our generosity and who doesn't deserve our, our generosity. And uh, there's, this, there's this really cool uh, story that Jesus tells about this shrewd manager, it's called. So it's this manager who is managing this really wealthy guy, all of his money, and he's doing a terrible job at it. So the wealthy man comes back and he says, you're doing a bad job, so uh, give an account for everything that you've done for me. And then um, the manager, he ends up doing all this crazy stuff, and he, he goes to all the rich man's debtors, and he cuts their debts in half. And then... Uh, Jesus, he goes on to say something. Can we pull up that slide? Because I'm like way lost in my notes. I have a big stack of notes, and I don't know where I'm at. But um, it says, Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If then you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? The interesting conversation that Jesus is engaging here about money is, um, how are you managing your money? Because he's trying to pull us away from the conversation about money. Because who, if, you, if you're not faithful with unrighteous wealth, who's, how, how can we entrust you with true riches? And what is true riches here in this? It's people. So if I can trust you with money, I can trust you with people. 
So never stop giving. Never stop giving because if I can trust you with money, I can trust you with people. If you're constantly giving your money to people, you're going to constantly be giving yourself to people. If you're constantly going to be giving your money to situations, you're going to be giving your time, your talent, your effort, your energy. And no longer is your life going to be about you. It's going to be about us. Because God is trying to pull us into the conversation that we're, he's moving us from a person into a people. So as we go on in the book of Luke, um, he says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good those to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting it to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Here's the thing about giving. Giving changes us more than it changes any other situation. Because the reality of the situation is this. Um, if you're constantly assessing where your generosity is going, or you, you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to give money to that man because he's just going to spend it on alcohol. I'm not going to continue loaning my stuff to my friends because they're just going to keep it. I'm not going to talk to that person at work because they are so annoying. When we, when we start to get to this place, what happens to us? We start to become bitter and judgmental against homeless people. We start to distrust our family and our friends. And we start to step away and disengage from our work. And so what Jesus is trying to pull us into is generosity changes you more than any other situation. And he wants to change us. Change us so that we can change the world together. And I love what it says at the very end. It says, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, right? Because God, we have a good God who loves bad people, right? John 3.16 is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world. The word world is derogatory. It means sin-filled world, bad people. For God so loves bad people that Jesus came. That Jesus came to die for bad people who didn't deserve it. That Jesus came for his enemies so that he would die on a cross for them. And what's so interesting is when you look through the Old Testament, the Jews, they're constantly trying to earn God's forgiveness through animal sacrifice. But when you read, God is right there ready to forgive at all times. He's like, forgiveness is here. Forgiveness is here. There's this book in the Bible uh, called Hosea. It's the craziest book in the Bible, right? It's a book where basically God tells this guy, go marry a prostitute. And she's going to constantly cheat on you and go away from you. So then he does. This prophet Hosea, he marries this unfaithful woman who, what does she do? She leaves him and she starts going out with other guys. And God's constantly going to Hosea and he says, go back to your wife, bring her home and love her. Go back to your wife, bring her home, love her. Because what it says is that's the character of God. That no, many, no matter how many times we prostitute ourselves, no matter how many times we run away, he comes back to us so that he can love us. And so when we step into this conversation about tribe and giving, I want to challenge us. The thing that is going to unite us as a community, the thing that's going to unite us as a tribe, is to never stop giving. 
All right, it's been pretty intense up until now, so I apologize. So here's the thing. Is anyone fan uh, of The Walking Dead by show of noise? Woo-woo, come on, wake up. So if, you're, if you don't like zombie apocalypses, you probably won't like The Walking Dead, so don't watch the show, right? So basically, it's a show about a zombie apocalypse, and there's not that many humans left. Um, but when the humans who are left, when they find each other, they, they, just, they have to step up and say, uh, you know what, are we going to be better together, or do we need to separate? Are we going to become a tribe, or are we not? So it's like when you find each other, when you find other human beings, it's like, are you going to use me, or are you going to benefit towards the community? Are you going to make us better, or are you going to lag us behind? So it's like, no, man, I'm good. I got these guns. I got ammo. I have swords. Come on, let's do this. Like, let's band together because we need to fight. But then the people who it's like, they don't ask anything of you. They're like, no, it's cool. It's like, how can I trust you? Because the reality is that they probably just want to eat you, right? Beware the tribe that asks nothing of you. Mosaic, we are a powerful tribe. We can step into a powerful place of giving. And when we ask nothing of you, if we ask nothing of you, it would mean that we don't care about you. Beware the tribe that asks nothing of you. So what I want us to step into is a place where we say in our hearts, together as a tribe, we're going to wrap our arms around each other and we're going to never stop giving. Because I'll also be honest, I've been in Lincoln for about a year. This is actually in a few days. It'll be mine and Nicole's one-year anniversary living in Lincoln. Woo-woo! Come on! That's pretty awesome. And I love, I, I, and very quickly I've grown to love this city. But what's really interesting is there's a ton of churches here in Lincoln. No one is talking about any of the churches here in Lincoln right? But what I would love to see happen is that mosaic becomes a whisper on everyone's lips, and they say, those people are everywhere, right? Those people, they are everywhere. Everywhere I go, I can't get away from mosaic people. They're serving here, they're serving there, they're doing awesome stuff in this city. These people, they are everywhere. So what I want us to do is I want us to do something super practical, to step into this place of never stop giving, Right? So on Friday, did anyone go to our Mosaic First Friday art show? A few of us? I know I, got, I asked you guys to do the woo-woo a lot. I apologize for that. Uh, it just helps me know that you guys are, like, actually listening to what I'm saying and not falling asleep. So, um, so here's what I want us to do is I want us to engage and do something super practical. So what I did is... Um, me, I have a gift for you guys. So uh, one of our community members, Maddie Graham, she took a whole bunch of pictures. And so I have all these Polaroids, and they're sitting outside. And on the back, they have all these challenges. And so what I want us to do is I want us to start and spark generosity in this city. I want us to engage as a tribe to do something together this week, this month, to do something awesome. Where people in this city, they're like, these mosaic people are everywhere And it's not an agenda that we have that's come to us, but we're going to them to just say, we just love you guys. We just want to serve you. So if you guys are up for it, if you guys want to engage in this conversation, on the ground out there, on the floor, there's these Polaroids. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out there and you pick it up. This is is if you're up for it. Only take a picture if you're down for the challenge. And then flip it over on the back. There's a challenge. Some of them are super easy. Some of them are extremely difficult, just to give you a heads up. If it's too difficult, feel the freedom to place it back down, right? Or go to a good friend and give it to a friend, right? You, I, I'm praying about this, and Jesus just says, you need to do this. 
Uh, but seriously, just, just take a challenge. Take a risk. And this isn't a goal. This isn't by far the end. This is a spark. This is going to start a fire of generosity so that we begin to engage to never stop giving. And don't be an island. Some of these challenges, they seem like, oh, this is to do it myself. Invite people into it. Don't be an island. Invite your life group. Invite your friends. Invite people who don't go to Mosaic to engage this with you guys. Awesome. You guys are awesome. I love you guys. Let's pray together. God, I pause. Man, knowing in my heart how difficult it is to love the people who hate me. To love people who are beheading Christians and little kids. How do I realistically have a heart that says, I wish the best for them? God, I pray for ISIS. I pray that they know the truth. God, I pray that I pray that they will find joy. I pray that they will find love. I pray that they will find peace. Because the solution is never going to be violence. The solution is never going to be for bad people to go away. You are the only solution because you are a good God who loves bad people. And God, here in this room, I recognize that so many times we just do bad things. And God, in this moment, I ask for your forgiveness. I pray that you will make my heart new. Jesus, I pray as you as my Savior that I can engage with this world the way that you engage with this world. And that every time I think about the people who do me harm, the people who I don't like, I think to myself, man, what do you have to say about this, Jesus? How do I love my enemies? How do I love the people who I hate? God, as we go here from today, help us to never stop giving. Help us to lose our love affair with money, or lose our love affair with wealth, so that we can be trusted with people, so we can be trusted to just love this city and love this world well, so that Mosaic, so that your name, Jesus, not Mosaic, your name, Jesus, can become a whisper on people's lips in this city, and they'll say those Jesus people are everywhere. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're constantly running after us. You are amazing. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.